1: What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low, net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and
0: more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. What is up, everybody? Welcome to The Stack. I'm Alex. I'm Justin. I'm Pete. And on the stack, we talk about a bunch of comics that have come out this week. And ooh boy, there's a lot of ooh, comics boy. that came out. Ooh boy. Yes.
1: Yeah,
0: Hoo <laughs> <laughs> ah. Sentible <laughs> <laughs> Woman. We're gonna be talking about Sentable Woman first from Marvel <laughs> Comics, of course, by Al Pacino. Pete, what'd you think? <laughs> 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 there we go. That's the correct answer. All right. Actual first one we're going to talk about is Dark Knight's Death Metal number one from DC we're Comics. Starting with by this? we're starting yes. with it. It's the big issue of the week, buddy. By Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo. We talked about this a little bit on the live show, but rather confusingly, not just because comics were paused for a couple of months, but also because it's not immediately clear from the title. This isn't just a sequel to Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo's Dark Knights that came out last year, I want to say, where the Dark Multiverse invaded the DC universe. It's yeah, also Joker picking up lies. directly on the end of uh, Scott Snyder's Batman Justice World. League run. It's picking up directly on Doomsday And all the Wally West stuff that ran off of that, it's probably picking up on a couple of other plot lines that we don't even know about yet. But basically, this is months later, apocalyptic DC universe. Superman has been trapped, Wonder Woman enslaved, Batman is basically missing. The dark multiverse Batman have taken over the Earth, and Perpetua, the creator of the multiverse, is slowly eliminating all of the other multiverses to lead to her plan, which they don't actually mention in this issue, but her plan is to stave off a multiversal apocalypse by proving that her multiverse is the best, is, I think, essentially what's going on here. But uh, it's actually
1: the worst. It's the worst. The
0: worst. The worst. It's the, it's the worst, so they won't destroy it. Right. Right. This first is the worst, and second is the best, and then the third multiverse is the one with the hairy chest. That's Wow.
1: Right. What? Wow. <laughs> hold, yep. my tro- hold my trophy while I kiss your girlfriend.
0: <laughs> what is happening? Uh, what did you guys think about this book?
2: Uh, Well, Uh, there have been a lot of like cool cover arts, a lot of fun reveals leading up to this. I've been like looking forward to this because I feel like this is kind of a cool idea, like just kind of death metal, the heroes that we know a little bit. And I thought, oh, this will be interesting. But I was really surprised by the start, really liked what I saw and then scratched my head a little bit. What do you mean? Yeah, well, but
0: like, uh, I think we could spoil it. It's been okay. out for a couple of days now. Uh, what was the part that made you scratch your head?
1: Was it something well, in the comic, or was it something in like a an itchy hat? <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: Will you I wear don't... your comics reading hat, right, Pete? <laughs> <laughs>
2: Have yeah, you washed yeah, it definitely. recently? <laughs> I, I could should be dirty. professionally cleaned. Yeah. Professionally cleaned. We start with Sergeant Rock. Haven't seen him in a minute. That was kind of fun. But also I'm like, well, where and when is this taking place? It was kind of through me for the start of it. Um, But I loved the Wonder Woman stuff, especially kind of like how the Joker who laughs kind of knew her plan. And then kind of laughs. Yeah. I'm sorry, Batman who laughs. It's weird to say Batman it's who laughs. laughs. Yes, the Batman who jokers. Yeah, you could say. Um, yeah, so sorry, I keep messing that up. But the the Wonder Woman stuff was badass, especially the way that like she kind of like we saw her with a chainsaw before, and then we got to see what she did later. Uh, that was really badass. Uh, and then uh, the fun ACDC bit that the Batman who laughs makes. And then the ba- Batman actually showing up and doing the Rise moment was fantastic. And then we had a sweet cameo by Jonah Hex. And uh, I was like, cool, but I have no idea what's happening when it is or why there's only parts of the Sarge there.
1: Uh, yeah, I see what I, you're saying. I think that's meant to be something you don't know because yeah. it doesn't tell you, the book. Um, yeah, I think this is fun. What I love about... Like, I feel like a lot of Scott Snyder's big work lately in the DC Universe has been like, oh, you thought the last thing I did was just like a wild mashup of so many things that went for it. Well, wait, do you see this one? And he keeps like (laughs) topping himself with the next thing. And this feels like that's impressive, uh, uh, too it is it really is like and it's because he's not only topping himself just from a storytelling perspective but it's it's now moved and become the continuity like he's been operating outside of continuity for a bunch of things getting closer to the main dc timeline and now he's there um so i think that's great and exciting and bringing in so many elements we've talked we talked a lot um months ago back when we saw each other about how DC Comics lately have been just doing a million things at once, and Scott Snyder is somehow weaving all that together into this. Like you got a Black Lantern ring popping up here randomly, um, uh, all of these other uh,
2: the Jonah Hex, like, there's was there,
1: yeah, Lobo's popping up, the Invisible Jet, like he, it is really just like throwing everything into the into the pot.
0: Yeah, this is really well done across the board. Like you were saying, the stuff that Scott Snyder lays out is great. The way that it's paced is great. There were at least two points in the book that I gasped out loud. I think one of them was oh, that Black yeah. Lantern moment uh, where I cackled. And then yeah. when Wonder Woman pulls out the invisible chainsaw and kills the Batman who laughs and makes him explode. Fantastic. So good. Wait, what, said, I thought it was just
2: like she was cutting part of the plane to make into a sword to stab him. No, no, no. At the beginning of the book, she's
0: making a chainsaw. She dips it in the remains of the invisible jet. So it becomes an invisible chainsaw, which is how she kills the Batman who laughs. That's amazing. I'm, I'm yeah, it's, it's great. There, uh, just
1: so you know, there are invisible chainsaws all around uh, Brooklyn. So um, wow. you can pick them up. You just got to grab
0: them in the right spot. Yeah, just stick your hands everywhere and just rub them on all the sidewalks. (laughs) Uh, Here, here are my two qualms that I have that I don't think anything are necessarily wrong. Two qualms that. Oh, hold on, that I want to talk about for a second and get your takes on, because I don't think these are necessarily things that uh, Scott Snyder or Greg Capullo are doing. I don't necessarily put them on them or the book, but they're things that I just don't like in general that hold me back from loving this book. The first one is DC's constant obsession with referencing their own continuity to the point that it doesn't matter and it doesn't make any sense anymore. Like I like, I appreciate the fact that what Snyder is doing here is he's coming up with this idea of our universe is powered on crisis energy. That's what it is. And there's good crisis energy and there's bad crisis energy. We need to figure out a way to balance that. So clearly this is leading into, Whatever the new continuity is going to be for DC, but it's this thing that they return to time and time again and keep redefining and it, it's not, it was exciting the first time they did a crisis. It was the exciting, the second time they revisited it, but now it's just something that they do every couple of years and I find it a little exhausting.
2: You mean the the reset they do every couple of years? Is that what you're talking about?
0: The reset, but it's always focusing on like there are 52 of something. There is a crisis. We are saying the word crisis. It's it's metatextual in a way that I am tired of hearing about.
1: Well, did you know that this is an anti-crisis?
0: Uh so okay.
1: Alex, that's actually quite different. Well,
0: like, the, I like think, I think, just to be clear, I think the nuance here is I don't like I don't think anything Scott Snyder is doing is wrong in the writing. Like, I think he has found out like a creative way of hitting this again, but it's not in a way that makes me excited because I've already seen it five or six times prior.
2: I was under the impression that they were just talking about crisis, so they could do that ACDC bit, and then they're going to move on.
1: No. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I hear you. I agree with you. I think the term crisis is annoying. It's like if every time Spider-Man foiled a bank robber, he was like, wow, another crisis on my hands. I hope I can solve this crisis of infinite coins or whatever. (laughs) Uh, Or
0: if if everybody in the Marvel Universe is like, well, it looks like it's another secret war.
1: You know, well, and they, they they're guilty of that as well. Sure. Uh, plenty of times. But um, yeah, I think there's no reason that they need to call it that um, it, this isn't like the other crises. It's very different just across. And I mean, it's still multiverses uh, coming together. And that's the issue that they have to fix. But it's not about like uh, the same ideas. It's like totally wildly different.
0: Yeah, and granted, this is the story That he's been building up to for a while Throughout Justice League, so again, I get it Uh, The second thing that drives me off the wall Is the, the Dr. Manhattan of it all That, like, I don't love Wally West Having Dr. Manhattan's powers I don't love Wally West talking about Dr. Manhattan I certainly don't like the reveal That either the dark Batman Have the actual Dr. Manhattan Or they have some sort of dark Dr. Manhattan And that they're just like going willy-nilly with the Watchmen characters in this universe. Um, it makes sense. They've already opened the door. It's too late at this point. Uh, and, hey, maybe Scott Snyder will write a great Dr. Manhattan, so that's fine. But it really does feel like leave those characters alone. Nothing good is going to come of having Dr. Manhattan running wild in your universe.
2: I did I agree laugh, completely. Though. When they kind of pushed that uh like frowny face button, that was kind of funny
0: it's all I cannot emphasize this enough it's all well written it's good bits the frowny face thing is fun i'm again I'm sure they'll figure out a made a wig it work but like beyond the fact that having an all powerful character in your universe just Explodes every story compelling possibility because everything now could be like, oh yeah, Dr. Manhattan did it. He can do anything. He did that.
1: Well, and even beyond that, I, I'm just, it's like he doesn't really belong there. As much as they're trying to be mm-hmm. like, Dr. Manhattan is a part of the DC universe, I'm like, no, he's not. He's just not. It's not part of that story. Um, that story exists I, separate. There's no reason for that to do that except to be like, this is a cool thing that might make people who are fans of Watchmen buy these other comics.
0: Yeah. Well, um,
2: so uh, I'm going uh, to hopefully uh, Scott's going to earn your trust, Bags Alvin. By the end, I
0: have already said several times that he has my trust. He's doing a good job with the writing. It's not about that. It's about having Doctor Manhattan in the DC Universe proper, which is a thing that I think is an error that I was willing to write out for Doomsday Clock because it seemed like. It was this own piece of its own story, but just constantly going back and using him, not great.
2: Well, there I think go. Scott Snyder knows what he's doing, and I think you'll eat your words later first. <laughs> <You> know, <got laughs> <me>. Wow. <laughs> that is not
0: what I'm saying. Oh, my God. All right, let's move on to something hopefully we can all agree on. Wind Number 1 from Boom Studios, written by James the Fourth and illustrated by Michael Dial- Dialinus. Dialinus? Maybe. Mm, yeah. Mm. Uh, <laughs> oh, could be. Uh, this is the team off of the woods, also from Boom Studios, which was an awesome, awesome book that you definitely should yeah. check out if you never have. This is not exactly an all ages title, but it certainly feels like... Slightly more all ages than the previous one. It's about a boy named Wind who lives in a town where nothing weird is allowed to be. It is a fantasy town, though. He clearly has a crush on a local dude that lives in the town who works at the palace. Uh, and there is a tease that there is about to be some big fantasy epic stuff about to go down. What do you think about this first issue?
2: All right. Well, first off, uh, this is definitely not an all ages book because it starts off with a kid who turns into his monster, and then his mom beats him to death, and then we find out, oh, maybe that was just a dream. Uh, and then it goes. Well, you're in- not a, just to
0: clarify, you're not a parrot, right? So you've never had to
2: do that to your kids. That's true. Yeah, yeah that happens good all the time. My that's kids
1: are how always turn into birds.
2: <laughs> okay. Well, I'm sorry. I, you're right. I was out of line on that one. Uh, but then they introduce like the cutest little like sprightle thing ever and then murder it! Murder the cutest little... Th- and that also not all ages hard to take. Uh, but it is magical in kind of a cute way so I could see why you would say all ages except for all the murdering of the cute things. But uh, this is, you, you, you can kind of tell it's James uh, Tinian or Tynion, uh, but you also Tynion. like can't because he's such a great writer. Like there is darkness to this where I'm like, oh, there he is. Uh, but the, it's such an interesting, cool story. I definitely think you should check this out. The art alone is worth it.
1: Yeah. it, it this feels, uh, a couple of has come up uh a lot in the a lot of the books we talk about tonight and in other the books we've been reading over the last couple of months has a very like european comics feel to the art um to me and uh it or like a, it feels like a final fantasy uh game or something like that mm-hmm. um and I, I like that uh feel it really transports you to the world and it's fun the characters seem fun i like the way that the story sort of shows you that magic is bad in this world, but I think it you know, means it's going to come up pretty strongly uh, as we're moving forward.
0: Yeah. I wish there was a little more to this issue, like which is obviously a good feeling to be left with at the end, but certainly it felt like the story was just getting started right there at the end with a little tease of what's going to happen next. Um, so this was a great New big title to jump on. I think this is going to be big. I think people are going to really like this. I have full faith in the art team. Um, But definitely, it feels like the sort of thing, maybe once the second issue comes out, read both together, because that, to me, feels like it's going to be the real kickoff to the comic. Let's go to another one, number one issue, A Man Among Ye, number one from Image Comics and Top Cow, written by Stephanie Phillips, art by Craig Cermak. This is about a uh, female pirate in pirate times, whenever that was, sailing around (laughs) the Caribbean uh, with her captain. Her captain is very allowing of having a woman on board. The rest of the crew doesn't really like it. She clearly has a sense of of justice. What? Just fuck, fuck the, the rest of the crew. crew. Wow. Real uh real uh pirate hunter over here. Couldn't think of a name of Pirate Hunter, but whoever that is. Uh what'd you think about this book, guys? Fellas, men among I me. I thought this
2: was a real a real fun kind of like combination of cool pirate story with a little bit of romance, and then kind of like we're gonna see where this goes. You know, it has an interesting reveal that like uh, there was a little stowaway and uh, you know these people are being awful to this little stowaway kid and then luckily the badass pirate lady kind of like steps in to save the day I'm, I'm excited about the idea of this I think it's uh, the art's really great uh, it's kind of fun pirate times which is interesting so I'll be interested to say like a little bit more modern take on the pirate style I'm excited about this
1: feels very Pirates of the Caribbean. It comes right up against being fully, they're literally like, there are a lot of pirates in this Caribbean. So we got to <laughs> keep our eyes on that. Um, but it, it, uh, and it, it has, totally, it's like that. It's like the characters are fun and funny and there's some swashbuckling going on. So I'm down.
0: Yeah, and it's pretty clear where it's going at the end of the title, plot-wise. So this is a fun one to jump on, particularly if you like pirates. Jane Foster, Valkyrie, number 10 from Marvel, written by Jason Aaron and Torin Gronbeck. Our guest artist, Ramon Rosanas. This is Jane Foster standing in Asgard against Thor and Tyr, who have been infected with, like, this dark magical thing that's trying to consume the universe. Nothingness. The only, the nothingness. Uh, and of course, Jane and the rest of Asgard stand against them. Um, this book is a lot of fun. I think we've talked about that every issue, um, but it really does similar to like death metal, uh, dark Knight's death metal. It also feels very like metal to me. It's very Dorse in a way that we haven't gotten on a Thor related book in a while.
1: Yeah, you can almost hear, like, we come from a land of bison snow (laughs) underneath a lot of what's
2: going (laughs) on. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, This is – oh, go ahead, Justin. I'm sorry.
1: I would say I I really like this as well. What I think Jason Aaron does so well in uh, all of his Thor and Thor universe work, and especially here, is he takes the character's – Issues and themes, and really builds the story, uh, builds them into the story. Like, uh Jane Foster is a cancer survivor, and this whole villain here feels like a cancer, a nothingness that is threatening everyone in the universe, and she has to stand against it. And just being able to just tell the story through the character and the mythologies around Thor and all of everything uh, in that universe is just so good, and it's a great read.
2: Yeah, I really love uh, this book. The the art is fantastic, especially the way the kind of like, it's almost like a painted background type thing. It really makes Thor uh, uh, work in this comic book form, the way the art makes it come to life. Um, and just some really fun stuff in this book, too. There's a lot of like, obviously, the nothingness is all scary, but like the flying horses sitting around making jokes, doing bits. Hysterical. The part where where, like, the oh, bad that guy that was funny. Yeah, the part where the bad guy was like, oh, I wish I would have stabbed you with something else. A great line. There were some real fun, light moments, and I feel like that's what's great about Jason Aaron is like he's tackling uh, bigger issues and stuff, but still has these sweet, human, nice moments that make things... Uh, uh, feel like a Marvel movie where there's a lot of humor. There's uh, there's bigger stuff going on and uh, you know, you get that sweet kind of music playing in the background. Next up, strange adventures.
0: Number two from DC comics written by Tom King art by Mitch Gerards and Evan doc. Shaner. So this is picking up on the story, obviously, from the first issue, where Adam Strange has been accused of falsifying his own autobiography uh, and potentially lying about stopping an alien invasion, potentially lying about his own daughter being dead. Um, And we jump between seeing what happened on the planet of Ron uh, back in the day, as well as what's happening modern on Earth in this issue, specifically, we pick up on the cliffhanger of the last issue where Batman tasked Mr. Terrific with potentially investigating Adam Strange as a uh, relatively uninvested observer, somebody who doesn't have any emotional attachment to Adam Strange, the way that Batman potentially might. Uh, and so this issue almost entirely focuses on Mr. Terrific. And my God, once again, just like this is such an emotional gut punch on behalf of this team. So superbly done across the board.
1: Just so good. And the way the, the two different artists uh, having them jump sort of jumping back and forth. It's so good. Uh, It's, it's what you, everything you just want from a a Tom King book. He's, he's he's done it again.
2: Yeah. I'm going to learn from my uh, previous mistakes with Tom King and not, uh talk uh, about it until we have more information because uh, I know powerful stuff. <laughs> you don't is, like this? I It's just, I don't know what's happening. It's weird. And like, why is Mr. Terrific being quizzed by his own like, T-spears? You know, like what? I, I don't know. I don't know what's happening. So,
0: I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spoil this book, and I'm going to spoil this book because I think like it is a perfectly paced book. Hopefully you've read it before, but I'm going to spoil it for the purposes of talking about it, Pete, uh, to hopefully express to you what I think is so wonderful about this is between the scenes, flashing back to Ron, seeing Adam Strange going on his adventures, getting lost in the desert, um, fighting his way through, nearly dying, his wife almost nearly dying, all of these things, but painted as this epic adventure that is just on the brink of becoming dark, we get all these scenes of Mr. Terrific, who is reading the book. So essentially we're seeing... What he is reading as it's happening. So that's the basic structure of the comic, right? But the drone. So the second thing, though, is Mr. Terrific knows everything. He is a self taught superhero, he doesn't have any superpowers. He is just insanely smart, and so he has pushed himself to be at his absolute physical peak, to be at his absolute mental peak, and in order to do that, he needs to train himself of all times. So, that's what we're also seeing throughout the book while this is going on, while he's considering whether he is going to take the case to look into Adam Strange. He is training himself physically. What do you mean? He's lifting
2: weights. If he's going to take the case, like, you know, when Batman tells you to do something, you're not going to. No, gonna... no, no.
0: Batman at the end of the last issue is like, it's up to you
2: Yeah, I if don't think you so. want to do this. If Batman says that you do it, that's how it works. Uh, no. Mr. Terrific has <laughs> yep. always been a character that goes
0: his own way. Just Tenbox Ten says he takes the case. He does take the case yeah, at so... the end of the comic of not <laughs> so taking the bet. Good bet. It's yeah, a good bet. bet. Yeah, dude, but it. the other thing that's happening is they're lulling you into this false rhythm with the Mr. Terrific scenes where it's just fact after fact after fact and he gets everything right and it's insanely more difficult each time. There's no way no any human being should be able to answer any of this stuff, let alone so quickly. From morning to night, he's woken up by being asked trivia questions. Yeah, that was weird. And then at the end of the issue, he says, ask me a question I don't know. The t spheres say... Mr. Terrific knows everything, and he says, No, ask me something I don't know. And you get calculating, calculating, calculating. What was the sex of your baby when your wife died in a car crash? What was the sex of the baby in your you know wife's womb when she died in the cars? And he fuck doesn't that fucking up for answer. i saying
2: that out loud. You don't say that shit to somebody. No, but that's the thing, is like <laughs> the two that's the entire emotional crux of
0: the book, Pete. I know maybe you're trying to wind me up here, but, like, the emotional crux of the book is, like, first of all, you get this droning rhythm of these questions throughout the book over and over until you're hit with the silence at the end that makes an extra gut punch. And then the second thing is it gives him the motivation for, like, if you, Adam Strange, are fucking lying about your daughter dying – for some goddamn reason, I am going to find out why, because I never got to even know the sex of my child. I never, Not only did my wife die, not only did I never get to meet my child, I didn't even know anything about them. So fuck you, you are lying about this, I'm going to rip you to shreds. That is the rivalry that's set up at the end of this book, so simply and so pristinely. Wow. Well, I it's wish great. I would have got any of that. Uh, cause wh- I am happy to get on Skype with you, not in person because coronavirus, right. but I'm happy to get on Skype with you while you're reading a book and yell at you while it's happening. <laughs> That'd be a fun commentary to It have.
2: really would be. Uh, yeah.
1: And Pete, I feel like you would identify with um, with Mr. Terrific in this because you're someone who is a, a real quiz master. Oh, like, yeah, I definitely. feel like every day you're being bombarded by your personal peace spheres. Yeah.
2: With different trivia questions. Well, the thing is, when I (laughs) read it... Peace spheres are like a slightly different thing. Because when I read (laughs) it, I was like, okay, I clearly don't know what's happening. Because what I'm seeing is somebody telling something, and by the coloring, we're not sure if it's true or not. And then somebody who takes his workouts so crazy that he also quizzes himself while he's working out. And then a robot steps way over the line of what you should ask somebody... And then, uh, for some reason, that robot's allowed to live. That's what I got from the book. So it's a little different from what you got. And I know Tom King's stuff is kind of different, so that's why I wasn't like, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's open for interpretation, or
0: it could be what I said, or it could be like, oh, this fucking robot. Yeah. One of those two things. Yeah. I, I guess it's your no way them. of doing
1: You be the judge.
0: <laughs> 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 Let's move on to another book, The Crow Leith number two from IDW. Script by touchy feely Tim Seeley and art <laughs> by Elias Krizis. Uh, sorry, I actually know him, so I should probably pronounce his name correctly. <laughs> I'm sorry, Elias. Uh, but this is Pick It Up on a New Crow, a dude who works at a freak show. He feels no pain, also has no memory. And there is a very dangerous dude who's tracking him down. He has gotten blamed for the murder of the leader of the freak show. And uh, yeah, that's where we pick up in this issue. What would you think about this one?
2: Now, did you guys notice how the there's like cover A looks like a it looks like somebody drew Tim Seeley as like an emo kid and it was cracking me up. I really uh, thought that was kind of hilarious. Do you guys get that at all when you looked at it? Yeah, that was my main takeaway. That's my whole review. Well, I I didn't know if it was just me who was thinking like, man, this looks just like Tim Seeley. Uh, but Well you're obsessed with Tim Seely, so it makes sense that you would spot that above. Know,
0: you see so him much. everywhere, right? I, I don't know about you, if I'd uh, say you see just... him in the ceiling before you fall asleep at night.
1: <laughs> no. Uh but the reason we call him Touchy Feely Tim Seely is because whenever we would go to cons and do interviews, you would always be hugging him until <laughs> he came upon you.
0: Nobody else, unless there was like a cheesesteak or like a roast beef sandwich, you'd be
2: all over that. But other people, you didn't touch them on the shoulder as much as Tim Seely. Oh, boy. Um, So, uh, this I'm a huge fan of the Crow movie, so I was excited about this. This is kind of an interesting take. Uh, I like the kind of the fun cast of characters that we have here. Um, Yeah, it kind of starts in the middle, which is cool. And, uh, I mean, who doesn't love flying spin kicks where teeth go flying at you, the reader? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was cool
1: I mean, this book, I was never a huge Crow uh, what? fan What? I, I don't know What's uh, what's the deal? <laughs> uh, no offense to anybody, any fans out there Fire uh, but it this up. is up! Yeah, sure, totally uh, But this is a fun book um, I, I think the art it sort of has the little uh, like It's a little bendy, it's a little trippy uh, I'm mm-hmm. down with that
2: Well, especially uh, the old-timey black-and-white flashbacks
0: Yeah. Uh, Well, I think uh, what this book does very well is it sets out to be like alt freak show book, and it achieves that. Like both with the look of the book and with the writing of the book, I think it's the right team for it, and it works very nicely. I'm also not particularly into the crow, but I still think this is a fun story. It's clearly over the top and violent in exactly the right way. No, I didn't know if. Oh, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say if if you are a fan of the crow, I think, or of alt freak shows, this is uh, you're getting what you paid for, and they do a good job with that.
2: And I didn't know that like the word "lith" is like the sound that you make when a crow comes out of uh, of your mouth. They know that's how crows were born. Yep, they come out of people's mouths. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's
0: crazy. Uh, In fact, I'd say it's their birthright, which segues very nicely into Birthright 44 from Image Comics, written by Joshua Williamson, art by Andre Brisson. We talked about this one on the live show a little bit as well. But this is as we discussed with Joshua Williamson when he was on our live show. This is a all splash page issue of birthright. It's a big one. Huge things happen at the end of the issue. Um, How do you feel they executed on this concept?
1: I think it's great. And like, what a showcase for um, the art here. Like it is the amount of detail, the amount of like everything looks like it could be um, uh, painted on the side of a 1970s van. Uh, It's just badass fantasy shit (laughs) happening right here. I love it. Did you know
0: in the 1970s they used to release comic books on vans? You would have to buy 22 of them to get the whole story.
1: Yeah, uh the Econoline series. What a they wasted so much money back then, Marvel. Mm-hmm. It was bad. Um so that's Stan Stan Lee's idea. It was like <laughs> put it on Vans,
2: Excelsior. <laughs> <laughs> I'm off to lunch. Uh, if, if if I may, uh, gentlemen, at uh, 11.23 a.m. today, I sat down my computer back at my desk and stood up and started clapping because I just finished reading Birthright number 44, and it deserved a standing O. I got to <laughs> give it to J.T. Sizzle because he called this early, and this is an amazing comic. It has been a crazy ride, uh, but so Are worth it. Are you reading a statement? <laughs> yeah, I'm reading a statement. Uh, <laughs> did you write it in the notes app could you release it on twitter i, I did write it in the notes app but you have to drop what you're doing to pick up this comic it's worth it and unbelievable i was very moved by this comic and this is the reason why you should read things single issue like you're like, what happens in this comic and the build up to this issue is so phenomenal. And, like, you need some time away from it to process what you've just experienced.
1: Well, Hoppy's in this comic yeah. is very yeah. good.
2: Uh, it's just. Uh, Pete, I just wanted
0: to add that I hear you and I'm listening to you. Okay. Uh, it is a hard time in America and a lot <laughs> is going on right now, but I appreciate your voice and everything that you are bringing to the table, both about Birthright the comic and other things. Thank you. That's all I'm prepared to say at this time.
2: <laughs> oh, look, he fro- uh, he's frozen now. Emotionally, yeah, he froze. The, the bit would have gone over better if you didn't frozen, freeze in the middle of it. Um, uh, yeah, sometimes you're moved so much you want to write something oh, I mean, down. I made you
1: froze, Pete, emotionally when Alex just said that to you.
2: Oh, okay. okay. Well, maybe it was me that froze. <laughs>
0: who froze who froze you decide listeners (laughs) Uh, excelsior
1: this i mean pete's um pete's prepared statement uh is correct um i agree i think this comic is very good uh, and has
0: been since day one i agree great issue don't pick up this one if you haven't picked up the previous ones because it's not gonna make a lot of sense to you but man the art is so good and the storytelling is so good It is a phenomenal, phenomenal issue. Ant-Man number 5 from Marvel Comics, written by Zeb Wells and art by Dylan Burnett. This is, I think, the last issue of this book, maybe? I I believe so. Uh, Which is too bad, because it's super fun. It's Ant-Man and his daughter Cassie are on a monstrous island. I don't know if it's specifically Monster Island, but it's a monstrous island with huge bugs that are about to destroy the world. I think they're Uh, in the Savage Land. Oh, are they in the Savage Land? I believe uh, so, and it's just super fun. The characters are good. The father-daughter relationship is good. I just really enjoy this book quite a bit. I understand why people are not reading an ad bad book, but th- this is a good one.
2: Yeah, I mean, I I agree that they had they're really having fun with this book. Even the fun moth recap page in the beginning was hilarious. Uh, yeah, it's just a. Fun, kind of like father daughter team up, whooping butt, and uh, yeah, it's touching. It's uh, it's a lot of fun. I think it's a great representation of Ant Man in the Marvel universe, and uh, yeah, it's a great read.
1: It's great to see Ant Man mixing it up with bugs, and uh, love using that side of the powers set for both um, uh, Scott and uh, Ant Man and Cassie.
0: It's great. Yep. Good stuff. Young Justice, number 15 from DC Comics, written by Brian Michael Bendis and David Walker, art by John Timms and Scott Godlowski. This is bringing to a close a big arc in Young Justice that's been dealing with Connor Kent, a.k.a. Superboy, what's been going on with him. There's some big revelations here that tie into the overall continuity of the DC universe. Justin, you're a big fan of Connor Kent, I believe, at least his classic Superboy look, which he is rocking here. How'd you feel about this one?
1: Yeah, I like this a lot. It uh, There are so many characters. This feels like what um, Bendis maybe wanted Legion to feel like. I think this book is doing it better. It's a ton of like young characters, but I feel like their personalities are a little more on display here, and we know what's going on a little bit more. And it's just a fun story. I like the mystery aspect. I like the, I like bringing this Superboy back from uh, I guess Gem World uh, where he was. Um, one of my favorite Superboys. Um, uh, so it's. Uh, I
2: thought this was great. Do you say Gem like Gem is truly outrageous? Gem, no, like amethyst. Queen of Gem World. Oh, okay. My bad. Yes, my bad. If Jem,
1: if J E M lives anywhere, she lives on G E M World. Okay.
0: <laughs> uh, Pete, what do you think about this one?
2: Yeah, it's fun, and it's nice to see the somebody calling out the Flash kids bullshit. So I'm excited to see what happens moving forward.
0: <laughs> uh, I like this too. I think you're right on the money with the characterizations. The only one that doesn't necessarily track for me is Bart, which. Man, I just, I love Impulse, and I love seeing Impulse be impulsive, and like the rogue element who's running all over and doing stuff. So to see him being the one being like, I have all the answers, and I'm going to lay it out for you, and I'm the emotional center of this team, I think that follows up on what's happened to him so far in the DC universe, but... Everybody else is like, and now we're back to our classic forms or if we're a new character, really just sort of like challenging that. I want to see Bart get back to that. And I know he's grown, but I want to see it progress, frankly.
1: But I do feel like that's uh, maybe where we're headed. There's something set up at the end of this issue.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, all right. There we go. Firefly number 16 for Boom Studios, written by Greg Pak and illustrated by Ramon Box. Uh, So Mal is still working for the Blue Sun Corporation, or at least he is working as a sheriff on a planet and working for slash tangling with the Blue Sun Corporation. Meanwhile, Inara and everybody else are trying to get him back into the fold, back on the team. Uh, And his new ally, Boss Moon, is trying to help him out as well. But as usual, Mal ends up in more trouble than he expects. Uh, This title has been great. Every issue just so good across the board
1: yeah I agree it's uh it's fun it it feels like the most true to uh firefly follow up that the, that's been out there
2: yeah Greg Pak is killing it on this book uh really uh, some cool stuff. I love the kind of the sheriff uh who's gonna kind of do things outside the box. I got a little worried when rioting started just because of everything going on, but I like the way it was handled in a clean way it's you know it's nice when comics can kind of do stuff like that. But, like, I I do think it's an interesting setup of, like, having... It almost feels like it's just an evil version of the sheriff at the end. But uh, we'll see what the killing of the friends kind of uh, reveal uh, becomes. I
0: mean, I, I got to tell you, this is getting to the point where it might be better than Firefly. And that's based wow. on, like... The run of Firefly, granted, it was mixed around. It was very good. But it took a while to find its footing. And just as it found its footing, it was canceled. Um, So I think we still need a couple of issues here to get to that point. But this run has been so solid across the board. um, It's great. Like, uh, if you like the show Firefly, you have to be picking this up. Uh, Next uh, up,
1: what you said was was blasphemous, but uh, let's move on.
0: Okay. Dying is easy number five from IDW Written by Joe Hill and art by Martin Simmons this is wrapping up a Shit talk Holmes mystery about A standout comedian who's also a detective um, Great twists and turns in This one I thought how'd you feel about the Issue
1: I like this character A lot I like the way it sort of All came together at the end it was A classic like multi Twisted uh, conclusion And um, it's uh, The concept is great a stand up comedian Who's a detective very fun yeah. stand-up comedians are uh, losers.
2: What? <laughs> uh, I don't uh, know about sure. that, last, uh, that last part, but yeah, I really like the kind of done it kind of twist reveals. Um, it's really amazing art and storytelling worth, worth checking out just uh, for the art and storytelling alone. It's got a real cool flow to it, and it doesn't feel luxury, even, even though we're kind of getting a, a lot of explanation of how things happened.
0: Yeah, good stuff. Wonder Woman, Dead Earth, number three from DC Comics Story and Art by Daniel Warren Johnson. I'll go right to Pete on this one. This is a post-apocalyptic tale of a Wonder
2: Woman. What'd you think? This is uh, crazy. Uh, Really fun to see kind of Wonder Woman uh, inner element here, kind of like struggling with war and what some of the things that have heightened and escalated and happened. And uh, really crazy to kind of see the, uh, you know, lasso of truth used on her. That was very emotional. Also, the whole stuff with Superman was crazy. What's great about uh, this book is you're going to get, like, a lot of amazing action, amazing art, fantastic storytelling. But then there's all these, because it's a black label, you get all this fucked up shit. Like, I don't know if I've ever wanted to see, you know, like, Superman's spine pulled out and then a lasso kind of f- thread through it. That was really fucking creepy way to end this book. Uh, but I'm very excited about this book to see what happens and where it's going to go. But uh, yeah, just the the artwork alone is, is just so phenomenal. Uh, yes. Just one,
0: sorry, one quick correction, Pete. It's uh, Wahhabis. Yeah. You, you want to see Wahhabis? Yeah. Man. You yeah. just, you uh, misspoke.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah really I, good. this book. This book is so good. Like especially in a in a week where we get this and also a post-apocalyptic Wonder Woman story in Death Metal. Death Metal, yeah. Um it's crazy to see them both at the same time, but the the art is just such a difference maker here. It's so good. The the super the the panel of uh Wonder Woman arriving at Superman's Fortress, like all that stuff is yeah. just so fucking good. Uh from the in the fight sequence her versus Superman, like it's just It's an amazing book.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Great, great stuff. Definitely pick that up. Iron Heart, twenty twenty number two from Marvel, written by Vita Ayala and Denny Lore, art by David Messina. Now this is kind of tying into the twenty twenty event, which finds a robot revolution happening in the uh, excuse me the Marvel universe. Um, but mainly, as we talked about with the first issue, it's really just an Iron Heart book. It's Riri Williams. She isn't technically allowed to be a superhero right now, but uh, because of that her ai in her armor has taken over her armor and got after a bad guy and that's what she's playing pick up on this issue um i definitely had our review of the first issue in mind here where it felt like it was taking on a lot of stuff and laying out a lot of stuff at the same time but that ultimately when it settled on riri versus the armor it got to a good place and i think it picked right up on that in this issue ran with it and i am on board with this title now
1: yeah I, yeah, I agree. I feel like the last issue, it felt like it was muddled by all of the other continuity and uh, sort of pipe it had to lay to get to the story, the Riri story. And this was much more cleanly a story about her sort of discovering uh, herself again. And I thought it was great.
2: Yeah, I agree. Zalbs. It, it really did all come together in this issue, just like the that kind of one panel where everything kind of came together in her armor, which was beautifully set up. Um, and then also, uh, there was a panel of the subway in this in comic and I was just like, oh man, the subway. I wonder if that's ever going to be a thing again. Uh, but it was remember uh, that joint. Yeah. Remember that you could get places. Uh, but man, yeah, it's, uh, it's, I think it's off and running now, like moving forward. I'm very excited to see what happens with this comic. Uh, sorry. Quick correction. Uh, what Again, uh, my apologies <laughs> yeah. You're letting your fans down, Pete Ludocrats the number hobby two hive. We Gotta <laughs> ludicrat-
0: give it up for the Happy Hive Ludocrats number two from Image Comics Written oh, by Kieran Gillen and Jim go. Rossignol Art by Jeff Stokely uh, This is, I guess, kind of picking up On the last issue Where a dude is going after The lady he loves and trying to get her back And that's the story we pick up on
1: Yes, simple as that uh, Just a classic um, meet cute, uh, just boy meets girl, uh, girl gets swallowed by big slug, boy has a convoluted plan to getting her out. <laughs>
0: yeah uh yeah the idea of the book is it takes place in a world where people are ridiculous it's focusing on the aristocrats of this world you could probably figure that out from the title um and it focuses on one of the most ridiculous characters who really just wants to have sex with a human train but (laughs) she is trapped inside of a worm so he puts together a team to rescue her and it gets spiralingly more ridiculous as it goes pete you hated this book I'm guessing
2: uh well yeah I hated the first issue the second issue is a little better uh, but I mean r- the real hero of this book is the art it's kind of cartoony but really stylistic uh, the way the panels kind of flow and work together the storytelling and like uh, the, the art also makes it more actiony like the with the with the lines and stuff that they do it's really impressive uh, as an arts uh, kind of standpoint uh just the content is just kind of crazy people doing crazy fucked up things
1: it's interesting that um you were just talking about how much you love the subway and the main characters trying to have sex with a human train i think we are a little it's mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. eating your lunch here mm-hmm. this is sort of what, your thing i don't know what you mean you want to uh, fuck the subway is what i'm saying think about where you eat all the time subway so all you talk about is the subway. <laughs> You're trying to fuck a train, Pete, and you know it. And this book is fun. It is a, a jam sesh where uh, everybody gets to cut loose. I like they follow up with a lot of back matter about the nomenclature and uh, sort of biology of the slug. Fun.
0: Yeah, I wish it was a little crazier is the only thing we talked what? about. This. I think that's oh, what we said issue last issue well. time, yeah. Yeah. We, well, we talked about this the first issue as well is that, like, it feels <laughs> – and I think this is the aristocrat, this is the crat part of it versus the ludo. Uh, it it feels a little too measured in terms of the language and the action and the pacing. Um, I wish it was slightly more off the wall. But to your point, Pete, Jeff Stokely's art is great in the book. It's really fun. All the characters' designs are fun. All the layouts are fun. So it's worth picking up for that. It's Next, like
1: British. Uh, it's like British crazy. So it's like yes. a little,
0: yeah. Agreed. Invader Zim quarterly number one from Oni Press, written by Eric Trueheart, illustrated by Aaron Alexovich. Each of these quarterly issues are going to focus on another character in the Invader Zim world. This one is all about Gurr as he goes on adventure out of the universe uh, to try to get uh, Zim a pokey thing. Um, This is great. I love Invader Zim. This perfectly channels the toad and ridiculousness of it. Uh, I mean, honestly, like, This is ridiculous and dark and weird in exactly the way that I would want Ludocrats to be personally.
1: That's interesting. Yeah, it definitely goes into that the dark side of this sort of goofy. It feels like Rocco's Modern Life a little bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But yeah, it's fun. I agree.
2: Yeah i I was ready to hate this um, because it just looks cute and whatever. But like, I was really impressed with the storytelling, and uh, yeah, it feels like the uh, cartoon kind of. Uh, pulled directly into this comic and it, it was, uh, it was impressive. Yeah. Pete, are you a Invader Zim fan? Uh, yeah, I don't
0: know what that is. Oh, okay. All right. There we go. Just an Invader Zim fan? No idea. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Invader Zim is a cartoon. It was on uh, Nickelodeon. It was created by, uh, Yonan Vasquez and it's, Crazy dark. It's about this alien invader named Zim, who is the worst alien invader in the entire universe. He's so bad that his leaders try to get rid of him by sending him to Earth. They're like, yeah, yeah, take over Earth without telling him they're never going to go to Earth. They don't care about it at all. And he ends up fighting against uh, this little boy named Dib, who's the only person who realizes he's an alien. Uh, And it's just. Crazy dark, super gross sometimes, very funny, very weird. Highly recommend checking out the show. Uh, Also, once you watch the show, or even maybe not, you could just watch this. There's a Nickelodeon, uh, excuse me, Netflix movie called Invader Zib, Enter the Florpus that is excellent. Like, very funny, also very weird. Will basically tell you everything you need to know about the show. Uh, but again, this perfectly channels it, so as a fan, I was very happy.
1: Ah, a little fan. Invader yeah. Zim, Earthworm Jim. Okay. Uh,
0: yeah, no, slightly different things. Uh, we okay. don't talk about Inva- uh, Earthworm Jim anymore because Doug Ted Apple sucks. Uh, Turner is oh. number three. Image Comics, written by Johnny Christmas, art by Jack T. Cole. We talked about this one on the live show a little bit as well. Uh, this is a wild, almost European-style comic. It's about a girl who is the daughter of one of the greatest criminal terrorist freedom fighters of all time. She is slowly working her way towards her own destiny. And this issue, she tangles with some not-so-nice people. So, I gotta say, I love the book that I'm about to reference. But to me, this seems like a better version of Decorum. The, uh, the, uh, oh my gosh, what's his name? Jonathan Hickman book yeah Yeah. that like, there's some stuff going on in the front of the Jonathan Hickman book that has nothing to do with this, but the back of the Jonathan Hickman book is like sci-fi weirdness. There is a girl she's being taken in by assassins, trained up learning uh, how to be exactly who she is supposed to be. So not, not the most original story track, But I think, like, looking at these, this one is hitting it in exactly the insane, over-the-top, hardcore way that I want it to be, where Decorum sometimes doesn't quite get there.
2: Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. I really like this book. Um, I think it was uh, – the art's really stylistic. It's really cool, really brings you into this world quickly, which is great. Um, And. I mean, the only thing I was kind of like, what? It was? It seemed like a random time while you're almost dying and being chased by people to go on a Tinder date. But whatever, I guess, you know, you got to do what you got to do. Um, and then other than that, I, w- I really followed the story and, and was enjoying it. Uh, if you're a fan of The
1: Fifth Element, you will like this book. Multipass. Mm. Yeah.
0: yeah, Corbin Dallas multipass Good call, it definitely has elements of that as well Also, I think fun like,
2: fish story at the end Yes Yes, yeah, the fish yeah. story was excellent Good yeah. call
0: Thanks for bringing that up That was uh, by Stephanie Cook And she wrote the story in the first issue as well They're both called Life And they both show life cycles And they, they're great yeah. Really good And yeah. the art is gorgeous in both of them um, so great package. Definitely pick it up. Last one. Ghost nice Spider package. number 10 from Marvel written by Shannon Maguire, Art by Iguara. This is the last issue of Ghost Spider, even though it ends on a bit of a cliffhanger here. So she is dealing with her universe's version of Sue and Johnny Storm, who are evil social influencers who kick her <laughs> out of town. And that's the end of the book. Uh, great issue. Really surprising that it ends here. Clearly, this ended far before it was supposed to. Um, but what do you uh, think does, about this issue?
1: I love, I love Ghost Spider, and I love the this whole uh, world Earth uh, twenty one. That's a guess. Um, as to what number it is? But it's just a, the way they sort of spin the Marvel Universe characters on, uh, on. Spider Gwen or Ghost Spider's world is is so smart and so interesting, and it's really well done here. In the sort of back pages, they talk about more coming, so hopefully we will get another series soon uh, because I think it's great.
2: Um, yeah, I mean it's interesting. You have kind of like an evil uh, Johnny Storm and, and Sue Storm here, which I don't know. I wasn't very excited about that, but uh, an interesting tactic, you know, as a hero to just be like, all right, I'll leave. Let's see if it pays off or. Yeah, or maybe we won't. We don't know. This is the last issue, so (laughs) no
0: idea. If you'd like to support this podcast and other podcasts, we do patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday at 7 p.m. at Crowdcast and YouTube. Come hang out, and we'd love to chat with you and give you surprises and things like that. iTunes, Android, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app of your choice to subscribe and listen to the show at comic book live to follow us Socially, comicbookclublive.com for this podcast and many more. We'll see you next week at the virtual comic book shop.
1: Pete, let me know what your peace Spheres say to you uh, this week. <laughs> <laughs>